Welcome again, Dragons, to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. This is episode 15 with Joel Hunter of Hogwarts Preparatory Academy, where we further studies in fairy tale and fantasy literature. So I did get to talk to Joel about Harry Potter, which was a listener-requested topic. We do dive into Lord of the Rings a little bit. Uh, we also talk a little bit about brewing beer, so that was fun as well. If you're interested in more Harry Potter topics, Joel is going to be at Leviosa in Las Vegas, July 7th through the 10th. So be sure to get your tickets and check that out today. Also, if you check out the show notes page, we are trying to increase the ratings and reviews we have on iTunes. So if you could go to iTunes Enter a new rating or review from June 15th until July 15th. Go ahead, take a screenshot of it. Shoot me an email, ken at dumbbellsanddragons.com, or tweet at me at dumbbellsdragon, and all the ratings and reviews we get in this month will be entered into a drawing for an autographed copy of Mike Nappa's new book, Annabelle Lee, a mystery thriller novel. So I do include a link to the book on Amazon if you want to learn more about that. So kind of a long intro today, but some information I just had to get out to you. Enjoy Joel Hunter talking Harry Potter. In the basement rolling dice, rolling dice. I'm a wizard. When we play, we do it right. Candles flicker, fighting dragons in my mind, in my mind. Just for kicks. DM says you're gonna die. Roll a D. Welcome back, Dragons, to another episode of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast, where we mix nerd and fitness culture to break down barriers. Today, I am being joined by Joel Hunter, Harry Potter expert extraordinaire uh, and creator of Hogwarts Preparatory Academy. Joel, how are you doing? Doing great today, Kenny. How are you? I am good. It is a beautiful gray sky morning here in L.A., (laughs) Um, but no, I'm, I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. Still recuperating from the weekend, but other than that, it's all good. Same here, bro. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. So tell everyone out there listening a little bit about yourself. Sure. So in my former life, I was an engineer, an electrical engineer who worked on contaminated sites to clean them up. And in the process of going through that life, I worked in the background to get my philosophy PhD. Once I got that, uh, or once I was working on that, I was uh, doing my own consulting, you know, in business for myself, and got my PhD and transitioned into teaching, which I'm still doing. So I've got now a total of 17 years of university teaching under my belt, and been doing that and enjoying it, um, having freedom to design classes like a Harry Potter seminar. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great gig. Um, pays not the best, but you know, you can do, you can do, you do other things. So, so that in a quick nutshell, that's just my, uh, my work life, my background and married three kids and, uh, they keep me busy. I'm sure. I'm sure. Are they all, uh, as big of fans as Harry Potter as you are? Yes, they are. In fact, my daughter, who just got back from a trip, a choir trip to San Francisco, 
there's an app I think called Quiz Up, and she was playing it on a friend's phone, and she got the number one in the world response for the Harry Potter movies. So oh. she, yeah, you can go find. Now it's not her; it's whoever's phone it was that she did it on. But yeah, so I think <laughs> I think that counts as a Harry Potter fan. Yeah, I I definitely think she could uh, she could definitely sweep my knowledge just under the rug. Uh, I still haven't seen the last four movies. Oh, you don't worry about the movies. Okay. You can skip them. <laughs> Books. All right. Sounds sounds like a plan. And tell us a little bit about Hogwarts Prep Academy. Sure. Yeah, it's a it's a website I started uh, because I wanted to gather all of the stuff that I do on fantasy literature and put it together in a format that is that okay it tells you because of the name Hogwarts Prep that it is academically focused and I wanted I wanted to make sure that was clear but it also extends beyond you know just Harry Potter a Harry Potter fan site it is that but it is much more it is uh, a place where I have brought in some of the stuff I've taught on Tolkien um, on Potter of course on the Hunger Games um, and I've tried to uh, not make it not make it too academic. Have a little fun with it too. So I do things like book reviews and movie reviews. Um, I've got hopefully an interview coming up with a, a hot new uh, young adult uh, fiction writer. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's something that I don't do regularly, unfortunately, which is which is not good. Um, but I like to create uh, a space that eventually can become. Um, a place where people who are interested in what makes these books, fantasy literature, worth reading as great books, uh, a place where they can find interesting stuff to engage with, and you know maybe step up step up the interactivity a notch um, in the next uh, in next year or so. Okay, excellent. That's Did nice. I say year? I meant month. It'll be sooner than that. Oh, okay. Wow, that's. <laughs> Just bumped up the bumped up the deadline there. No pressure. Yeah, right. It's out in the world now. Now, now you've made a promise to the world. That's right. <laughs> um. So, where did this love of Harry Potter and fantasy come from? <laughs> okay. So, a friend of mine who is uh, he is called the Hogwarts Professor. His name's John Granger. He's written I don't know a scad of books, and he. Is uh, he's been interviewed on CNN about Harry Potter. Um, he's he's just he knows a lot. And what makes him interesting is he has this classics background uh, out of the University of Chicago. And so that got me interested when he started talking about the roots of the Hogwarts saga in old literature. I mean, reaching way back, and that you know it really is created rolling created this out of compost out of literary compost and it's really rich soil and so he started talking about these different roots well that got me interested academically but the story he tells is how you know he's got a large family and one of his daughters wanted to read potter and he said no way no now remember he's a classics guy so he's like please Potter. It's not, we're going to real, read real books around here. Anyway, he had um, he said, okay, I'll make you a deal because she kept bugging him about it. I will read them. And in his mind, he's saying to himself, and then I'll tell you why you can't read them. 
and then I'll, I'll get back with you. So he reads them and he stayed up all night finishing the Sorcerer's Stone. And the next morning, um, he tells her, so I finished Sorcerer's Stone and I have, I have good news and I have bad news. Uh, the good news is I really liked it. The bad news is uh, you you don't have an option. You have to read these. <laughs> <laughs> so so that got me. I mean, coming from him, it made that made a huge uh, impact on me. And you know, my young daughter at the time, um, who was going to be interested within the year, and so I was like, okay, I guess I need to dive in. So I dove in, and another friend of mine, Travis Prenzi, he was uh, alongside uh, about the same time as John doing this. And so the two of them really sort of opened my eyes to uh, to Potter. You know, both that was academically interesting to me, but also, you know, as a as a parent and uh, getting into it. So. I guess that's the long story of that. <laughs> no, and I, interestingly, I remember my mom came home with all three of them because apparently they were at Costco. The first three, not all three. Right, right. And I remember just going through those one right after another, finished them, and I was 14 at the time. Mm -hmm. And then I had to wait so long for <laughs> books four and five and six and seven. And unfortunately, I, I really do need to go back and reread them because Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, and Deathly Hollows. I was in college for most of those, mm -hmm. and I just never had the time to really pay as much attention while yeah. I was reading it as I did the original, you know, the first four. Yeah. Now, just to bring up a little bit of controversy, because I was actually this has been at the forefront of my brain for the past couple of days. Um, what are your thoughts on the last four books? Because I really think that Rowling needed an editor. <laughs> like it was kind of like they were waiting so long for these books. The publishing companies were just like, we don't need to edit this. Just get it out there and mm -hmm. we'll make money. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, yeah, she, by the time book four, um, came out, I mean, it was, it was already a thing. It was a cultural phenomenon. It was a commercial success. Let's see. And I'm trying to remember the release date of the, Goblet of Fire versus the first movie. Um, I, I think they were pretty close together, if memory serves. I think the movie was movie was two thousand one, and I'd have to, I'd have to look at Goblet of Fire to see. But the point being, it was already certainly in in the planning stages, if not you know coming out for release. So there was a commercial element to this, I think that you can't overlook, which is you know Rowling's got a thing going. Let's just let her do her thing. And it's been successful. She has an editor, you know, with uh, is it Alfred Knopf? I can't remember the the publisher in uh, in Britain. So let's let them worry about that. And um, does it now as stories? Do they need editing? I guess I guess you could say that. But think about this now. You said that you were reading one through three when you were fourteen. Say so yeah. you you were Harry's age. And what happened then is, you know, in college, when you had a chance to read the, the next four, 
you had already gone through the things that are going through Harry, that Harry's going through, I should say, in books four and five. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was that age, 15, 16, things seemed awfully complicated. And I think that's what happens in four and five is you get far more uh, complexity in the characters and the development of those characters. Uh, not to mention the the bigger picture of what uh, is going on in the wizarding world, you know, which she's gradually peeling back the curtain so you can see not only the the danger of uh, what's happening in the wizarding world in by the fourth and fifth book, but also the history of that. What you know, what's going on in the stories of Tom Riddle and in Albus Dumbledore that you know shape the way that they are acting in the present you know, with Harry and, and at Hogwarts. So there's a lot of, of that material that she has to bring in, you know, to make the whole thing work as a saga. So, you know, yeah, they're bigger books, certainly. <laughs> and, and that's really satisfying for a lot of uh, Potter readers. Um, but I think, I think there's good reasons for uh, the content that's in it. And I think here's another, if I could just interject one more thing, another thing that happens, I think in, uh, the the difference between the books and how we receive the stories through the movies is the movies by their nature they have to make editing choices um, and so there's a lot of of material in the in between spaces you know of think of the major scenes in the movies like in Goblet of Fire you know lots of things get left out we're spew um, I mean that's really important for Hermione's character and. There, there are lots of elements like that that are in the books that by by necessity have to be left out of the movies. And so what can happen then is you're you're thinking already in terms of the the story in terms of the movie. And so you're you let that narrative think, you know, uh, dominate how you think it, it goes in the books. And then you realize, oh, wow, there's lots of other stuff here. I don't know if that's true for a lot of readers, but, you know, I certainly have picked that up from some from some folks who okay. who 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 had their ideas about the story shaped, first of all, by the movies. So these would be younger readers rather than uh, than readers your age um, who who were Harry's age when these books were coming out. So, yeah. Well, and I actually have an interesting case study for you. A very good friend of mine, Chris, just started reading the books earlier this year he's never read any of the books never seen any of the movies oh nice and he's largely remain unspoiled in any major plot points he doesn't know or doesn't recall who died or who lives or what happens and so i think that hmm. A, how incredibly lucky is he? That's a miracle. I was going to say, yeah. that is a miracle right there. Yeah. But how incredibly lucky is he? Like, how many of us would like to go back and read these books for the first time? Yeah. All right. Exactly. So, I think that's that would a, be... That's a cool story. I, I'm I'm sure there are a number of people like that out there, but um, I, have, I haven't met them, so that's cool. <laughs> and... Normally I ask people uh, to tell me about one of their heroes, either favorite superhero or favorite fictional hero. Um, who is one of your favorite fantasy heroes? Favorite fantasy heroes? I, well, I, 
someone who comes to the, to mind right away when you ask a question like that for me at least is Sam Gamgee in Lord of the Rings. And there again, you know, please not not the movie Sam Sean Astin did fine, you know, in Aww. a lot of ways he captured that he captured that character or parts of that character really well. But there's a there's a tradition in um, in English in the English military in particular um, of the kind of character that Sam is, um, and that kind that kind of loyalty where you um, you you accept by choice a subservient role in a bigger in a bigger idea a bigger thing, um, and but. But yet, in doing so, you're instrumental in the success of that of that mission, as it turned out. Um, that is an I think that's a really interesting. and it really cuts the cuts against the grain of a lot that we value, in, especially in America, that you got to be number one. You know, there's you know, if you're not number one, you're a loser. And where have we heard that? But so, yeah, I mean, Sam Gamgee to me is like the anti-trump. He is. He is the um, uh, my, one of my very favorite fantasy characters, someone um, who I admire a lot. Well, and one of the things I have tried to always remember, and that's something that I wish other people, or I wish everyone could see this, is that the person picking up your trash is just as vital as, you know the doctor giving you stitches. Yep. Right. You know, because it takes all these parts to work. And I I really enjoyed when the first time I read Lord of the Rings and I was always like, Sam is he was much more easily re- I could relate to him a lot yeah. a lot easier than than Frodo. Yes. So Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Because Frodo, you know, he's got this special position that he inherits right i mean he i mean he does have a, a certain kind of character already that prepares him to carry out what he's got to do but you know it, it ain't going to get done without sam and that he is a character who is in the sidelines by choice um you know he, and he's not perfect too i mean he he has his moments uh, the way say for example how he treats Gollum. so to me that is that is, um, if you could say such a thing about Lord of the Rings, that's what makes it realistic uh, about hobbits. Is <laughs> that uh, is that he is he's not perfect, right? So it's it's not it's not like this is perfect, perfectly good character, but he's so decent, um, and his instincts are in are in the right direction all almost always, um, and certainly in the bigger scheme of things. You know, he he sees he sees what's at stake. He sees the importance of of even small choices. Um, And he, you know, constantly is there really for Frodo as a conscience, like a Jiminy Cricket character. Um, Yeah. And he does. He steps up when he needs to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He he will he will jump in and, you know, take on uh, take on a a huge, massive spider. Yeah, exactly. And. Would and I'm not a literary teacher or expert, but wouldn't you say he's more of I don't I, I want to say the main character because he does go through a transformation in the typical hero's journey. 
he starts out one way, he goes through some changes, and ends up changed on the other side, whereas Frodo was pretty much the same character when you start the move, uh, start the movie, start the book, and end the book. Mm. Oh, I, well, I don't know if I agree with the second part of what you said, but certainly the first part of what okay. you said. I, I think Sam is, in some ways, the Harry Potter character in that he is, he is the, he's who we are experiencing the story through. Um, and part of what makes that work is the is the end, uh, is the scouring of the Shire, and his role then in in a, in taking a leadership position. So you know he goes from uh, being the not the sidekick that's that really diminishes his role, but but being the aide really to the ring bearer, um, and being subservient to that greater goal and to Antifrodo himself. He goes from that, though, to then, you know, well, this is actually what makes him a good leader is that he doesn't seek it and he can be entrusted with power. Um, we saw that with the you know, how he handled the ring. So he's he's like, that's that's exactly who we would want to be mayor. Um, and that but but he so he stays in the you know, he stays in Middle Earth. He doesn't go off into the West. So he still is our connection to to the uh, to the world there. And and so I think because of the way it ends, it's his journey, really. Um, I think what you said at the beginning there, that it, it really is kind of his story. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, don't know, I think that's just what makes his story more relatable. Mm-hmm. In, in, in my humble opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, we get to we get to see um, we get to see a lot of his choices, and so you know, it's a lot of the things that he decides to do or not to do really determine the direction of the story. Like, for example, um, when the fellowship is split up, uh, he he makes a decision. I, there's no way I'm leaving Frodo, right? So he goes with Frodo, and that has you know profound consequences. Um, so yeah, I mean that uh, he's he really is the the key. Um, well, he's the key to the plot, and he's um, he's also the character who uh, we can connect to, you know. Because well, another thing that makes him is is endearing speech. You know, he's not uh, he doesn't have noble birth like Frodo does. You know, he's not a wizard by any means. Um, you know, he's a simple guy. He's a gardener. He's a he's a cook. And I think that's I think Tolkien appreciating something like what you said earlier about the nobility of the the everyday kind of jobs. Um, you know, Tolkien obviously appreciates that. So yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And so, what is we talked a little Harry Potter, talked a little uh, Lord of the Rings. What is one area, what is one thing that you're into that others might find surprising? Uh, well, I think I could probably come up with two or three things. <laughs> now, this is, are you, you're not asking like a, another book series or something like that that I'm into, into but you're asking about other life things. Is that yeah, right? Well, this, the way this question came about was it was originally, what is your nerdy, geeky pleasure? <laughs> but then we kind of realized that 
we shouldn't have guilty pleasure guilty pleasures they should just be pleasures pleasures yes um no, we shouldn't feel guilty for what we like. Exactly. Is is kind of the evolution of that question. But it could be it could be I've had people talk about other hobbies they're into or mm-hmm. other genres of nerdiness that they're into. So it's really a user defined question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah, I, I give you I give you a couple things. So number one is uh, I love to homebrew. And I've been doing that since the late 80s. So you can do the math. They're almost 30 years. They might actually oh, wow. be up to 30 years now. Um, now, not constantly, right? That would that, I would have made a lot of beer by now. But no, <laughs> it's, it's been an off, off, on, off and on thing. And, you know, started with my college roommate, uh, as, as homebrewing often does. And, um, you know, we had to go our separate ways after graduation, um, so I didn't have my regular brewing partner, but here in Phoenix now, you know, I've got, I've got a new brewing partner and, um, so it's, it's been great. We kind of push each other and, and experiment and stuff. So that's, uh, I guess, uh, pleasure number one, uh, pleasure <laughs> well, number, you, yeah, well, go ahead. Do, do you have any brew days coming up? We do. In fact, we have one coming up in about a week and a half. Uh, what are yep. you brewing? We are looking at doing a let's see if I can remember a, um, a not not a not a Thai pepper thing um, something with a little spice but but a a basic oh man I've completely blanked on the style anyway a good <laughs> a good so oh a wit that we're gonna do a, okay. a, a wit we're gonna do uh, um, a, a probably a Belgian wit with um, maybe some lime and maybe a little bit of heat as well probably. Okay. Probably split the batch to do one, you know, with a certain amount of heat and then one without much heat. But okay, at least that's what I'm pushing for. Set aside some bottles for me. So I've, I've always been pleasantly surprised whenever y'all get to save a bottle or two for me. <laughs> so good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> it's that's to me. That's one of those rewarding things is being able to share it and uh, and get um, get feedback. Well, and and I've talked on the podcast before about how I've I'm I'm a beer guy. I like I like beer, and everyone always brings up, oh, why don't you try home brewing? And I was like, I did it once. <laughs> there's there's a reason people say ninety percent of brewing is cleaning. <laughs> That's right. And I have no interest. Yeah. Like the the chemistry behind it. Mm-hmm. The no, not not my thing. <laughs> but I will I will be more than glad to taste test anybody else's beer. This is why you can find these uh, these plastic beer kits that you know are like classic Father's Day presents. Oh. Uh, you can find them like Goodwill and uh, Craigslist, you know, by the dozens. So yeah, yeah. Well, that that was how I did. <laughs> I I brewed my first thing, and someone bought me one of those Mister Beer. Yes, sir. Kits. Yes, and. The beer didn't end up horrible, <laughs> but it was just, I was like, okay, I've got to do this, and then I've got to clean this, and I've got to make sure this is disinfected, and I'm just like, I no, this is too much. Just, the product was not exciting enough, right? Yeah. The cost-benefit analysis, I was like, I'd rather just go pay eight bucks for <laughs> a six-pack of craft beer. Yeah. 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 Right. So what was what was uh, your number two that you were going to bring up? After oh, yeah, yeah. Were... So uh, I like to sing and um, I haven't been in a choir in a, in a little while, but 
certainly choral singing is is one of my very favorite things. And you know, if I have a chance to listen to music to relax, um, I'll often enjoy putting on something that uh, has a choral uh, that's a choral work as okay. as opposed to other things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you are at. I'm I'm gonna totally throw a curveball question at you. You are at Coachella. What do you sing? Dude, what's Coachella? What? Really? <laughs> it's a place, right? It's it's. Oh man, this is gonna be great. It is See, the you... largest music festival on the West Coast. It's, it has like hundreds oh. of thousands of people who camp out for like four days. Yeah, so I, I'm guessing performances of uh, the Magic Flute by Mozart, um, Great Choral Works is not part of the programming. Is that right? Oh, that's just it. You could shake it up. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm game for that. <laughs> if it, I mean, yeah, why not? It's uh, uh, I'm sure whatever, whatever, whatever the 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 type of music that's played there, you know, you <laughs> you can do you can do stuff. Yeah. I I want to say, speaking of singing, do you have a karaoke song of choice? Um, a karaoke song of choice, not really. Um, I like if I'm gonna do something like that, it'll typically be from the American Songbook. Um, you know, stuff stuff that Sinatra did, but but even older stuff too. So, yeah, stuff like, like that. It. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, you mean John are going to have to go karaoke next time I'm in town? Oh. That would be good. He can sing, you know. Can he? I didn't yeah. know that. Yes. Oh. I'll yes, I'll I'll let, I'll let him tell you his uh his secret singing life. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is out in the world now. I hope uh <laughs> I hope he's not mad at that one. All right. John and who? It, yeah, right. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Why do I get the feeling this is a question that everyone gets asked, right? If I could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, Well, you know, I like like the power of invisibility. I think that um, it's dangerous, as the Ring of Gyges teaches us in in Plato's Republic, but... um, I think invisibility um, as a as a defensive as a as a defensive thing would be uh, a great superpower to have. Okay. Yeah. Do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because I I read a an article that was like if you ask people if they'd rather fly have the power of flight or invisibility. The extroverts will normally choose flight, and the introverts will normally choose invisibility. How about that? I did not know there was research about this. So uh, here's a here's a okay I, here's a third pleasure then because now it's relevant. Um, <laughs> I I do enjoy to fly, um, and I've soloed in a private plane before, but I haven't done that in a long long time. But I do love it, and if there was probably one hobby that I could make active right now and it, you know, and, and cost was no issue. That would be it. It would be oh. to get back in get my license and, um, and fly. Yeah. Cause I loved it so much. That's I've, I've never flown. I've jumped out of planes, which no, that's a hobby that I would, I would love to also if cost were not there, a thing. There's another name for that besides hobby, but yeah, right. No, <laughs> no, no, there was a parachute. <laughs> Good thing. 
no superpowers then. No, no, no. no. <laughs> All right. So what the one of the questions we always ask people is what did you do to nerd out work to work out nerd out this week? Oh my gosh, I'm screwing up my own question. Um Yeah, so to uh, I, to this week, you know, you get you gotta understand, you know, I'm I'm a I sit behind a desk and I teach a lot. Although now it's summer, and so I'm starting to get um, I'm starting to get more concerned with you know getting myself fit again. You know, I let myself go. I get all excited going into the fall. You know, and and I and I feel great. I don't need coffee, and I'm just killing it. But then, you know, you get into the the holidays and it's like, oh, food, yes, please, more. <laughs> and then by the spring, you know, I'm just a mess. So I'm coming out of spring and I started um, doing regular walking. And I do that partly because I'm getting old and my knees can't handle running anymore. If I could, if I could, um, if I had good shoes and I had a good place to run. I would do that. But so walking has been my thing to sort of prepare myself for a far more strenuous workout, which will be P90X. Excellent. And you've done P90X before. I have done it before. Yes. And so you can, you can attest to its benefits. Oh, definitely. Oh, (laughs) Oh yes. Huge, huge difference. Yeah. Not, I mean, it's not just it's not just in you know feeling better about uh, watching the weight drop off, which it does, but but just the sense of well-being that comes from you know good strenuous workout and you know not needing all the chemicals um, to keep me going, you know not feeling those cravings for things that I know are not healthy. Um, it just it cancels all that out for me. I don't know if that's everybody else's experience, but it is my experience, and. You know, if it weren't for the amount of time that it takes, you know, going back into the regular, you know, schedule of things and teaching and writing and everything else I do, um, you know, I, there's no reason for me not to do that all the time. Yeah. And I've actually, I've, I've never tried P90X. I've heard really great things about it, but it's just, it's never been on the top of my list of things to do. Yeah. Which maybe I should give it a shot because I have been definitely slacking the past year. Somehow I think slacking for you, Kenny, is you know is just killing it for most of us. Uh, I don't I don't know. Maybe that was true, you know, a year ago. But I I really haven't had a consistent game plan mm. in in a year. I will I'll go really hard for two or three weeks and then slack for two or three weeks and it's it's just it it makes it makes my curve just go up and down instead of instead of having a constant incline and improving yeah that that can be that can really kill sort of kill your motivation too is yeah, kids at home, don't don't do what he's doing, because then you end up starting in the bottom of the trough again, right? You've yeah. you've built up to a certain point, and then if you let it go too long, um, you feel it. It's like, man, I am back at the beginning. This is yeah. This and, and I've I've always said it's easier to go as slow as you need to than to stop and restart. Yeah. And I'm just I'm just feeling that right now. Um, 
Right. Is there anything particularly nerdy that you are doing right now? Are you reading anything particularly <laughs> uh, nerdy? Okay, I'm always reading something something nerdy. Uh, just got back from from Bookman's and got a couple things. Um, got a couple things there. One is uh, Sense of Beauty by um, by Ortega. So working on my aesthetics uh, philosophy, I'm working up a paper on phenomenology of music. Um, so now I'm geeking out on on my philosophy stuff. But um, I'm going to miss the deadline for submitting the paper. So I'm going to catch the next conference for that. But right now, in fact, right in front of the computer, and I swear this wasn't planned, is uh, <laughs> our schematics. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show Kenny and I are talking on video. So I'm just going to hold this up so he can see it. Um, I don't know if you can make that out. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I... So it's like lots of lines and squares and, you know, it's a yes. circuit. It's a circuit diagram. Okay. So what this is, is a um, it's a Yamaha um, uh, electric piano that um, has stopped working. And so rather than just junk it, I'm going to try to um, diagnose which chip is not working and fix it. Yeah. So oh, that's, that's that's what I'm doing actually right now. Yeah. That, well, not right now, but that sounds like a lot of fun. I one of my one of my favorite things was my cousin. Um, he had an Xbox 360, mm-hmm. and it got the Red Ring of Death. So anybody out there who knows what I'm talking about, so instead of him sending it back to Microsoft to get it fixed, he just bought a new one. Yeah, you know, must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, four years later, I'm living with him, and I come across this Xbox 360, and I'm like, what, what, why do you have two? What is this? And he's like, oh, that one's broken. And I was like, oh. He's like, if you can fix it, you can have it. <laughs> so then I spent the next, like, week with a thousand parts of electronics <laughs> all over my kitchen table, like, figuring out, and, like, YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's been six years since that and it still works nice well done yeah the only issue is to open this uh when you hit the eject button (laughs) you have to lift the front part of the the system about a half inch Uh off the ground and then drop it So that it, it shakes the door loose because that has a tendency not to open unless you do that. Okay. So now do you think that is – that's a mechanical issue. But do you think it was the way you put it back together? You left a couple parts out or is that I, I something think, that was already wrong with it when you got it? I think it's just a matter of how old it is, uh, a mechanical issue, or – Perhaps I just screwed everything a little too tight, mm-hmm. and so it's it just doesn't have the the fluidity is mm-hmm. what I'm gonna say the mm-hmm. ability just to open easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But either way, it works. It works. And yeah. On, honestly, I haven't. I've bought and I've purchased maybe three games for that system. <laughs> so. That's yeah, and my wife is telling me I still can't buy any new gen systems, and I really want a Wii U. Ah, yeah, nice. Uh, only for Mario Kart. 
Right. That's it. Um, so, you, getting back to some Harry Potter stuff, mm-hmm. who's your favorite Harry Potter character? <laughs> My favorite Harry Potter character is definitely Severus Snape. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any particular reason why? Uh, because he, well, he is, um, he is a wounded individual and we don't really appreciate the character. Rowling does a brilliant job of, you know, setting us up to hate Snape. And, and she has said in interviews, I don't know why anybody would like Snape. Now this is, I think before Deathly Hallows came out, you know, she, she, she set him up, um, to, for everybody to hate, you know, because of the way he treated Harry and everybody else. Um, so he's, you know, he's a cruel he's a person, he's vindictive, uh, he's petty, um, he's just mean, you know, but he's not, he's not that in a vacuum. It's, it's not like that sort of stamped on his character. We learn in Half-Blood Prince that he is deeply, deeply wounded, and we have hints of the wounding that happens when he's at Hogwarts um, as a student, you know, in the way that he is bullied. So we we find that you know there's there are good explanations for why Snape is a, a miserable person um, and you know someone that is detestable in so many ways, but yet is a human being and is acting out. You know when he's acting badly, he's acting out of those wounds. Um, because wounded people wound others. I love that. I love that he is the character then who is who is bad in so many ways. You could even say evil, but yet is um, is determined to make the decision that is going to defeat the real source of evil in the world. And and he does it. Um, he does it by a combination of skill. Um, you know his 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 uh, powers are uh, remarkable, and he does it by cleverness, uh, intelligence, but also will. He you, you know that even even despite those wounds, despite all those things that make him mean and cruel, in within that character is a heart that desires something good, uh, not only to be something good, but also to do good, to leave the right kind of mark on the world. Um, and so he dies, you know, uh, a, a, a horrible death, but one that is still uh, very meaningful. And, and, you know, so he's, he's the, the true hero of the story uh, of the whole saga. So he's my favorite character. And, and that's a little bit of why I think he is. He's my favorite character. I think that's the greatest explanation of Snape I have heard. <laughs> um, how did you feel about Alan Rickman's portrayal? Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm one of those, I answered a question like this on Quora. Um, they, somebody asked about, um, who, yeah, who nailed the character, um, in the books, their portrayal on, in the movies. And a lot of people were saying Alan Rickman and I just, I don't agree. Um, okay. uh, he's, he's far too, um, and okay, I need to back up for a second because there's going to be a lot of hate mail coming your way, if uh, <laughs> or, or my way, um, because I love 
deeply love Alan Rickman. I mean, I, I am really saddened by his passing. Um, I, I, I just, I love him as an actor and I, I mean, I really can't praise him enough. However, as a casting choice for this character, I mean, he pulls off Snape, but he makes that character a different character than than is in the books. In the books, okay. Snape is a is a Weasley, um, you know, sycophantish, um, uh, greasy haired, uh, slender, um, you know, and and probably a fairly you know small, physically small individual. I mean, he's not going to tower over anybody, um, and so. You know, he he has a lot of those those traits of a bully um, in the book, but it's it's a certain kind of bully. You know, it's it's the bully who's going to be sneaky, um, and and I'm afraid Alan Rickman is just he just fills the screen with his presence and his voice. Um, so I just don't hear the Snape in the books when I hear Alan Rickman speak. As okay. much as I love to quote him, you know, and I, and I love how he how he brought that character to life. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm, it, you don't you don't necessarily have to do a good job. Um, I mean, sorry, to do a good job. You don't just have to be faithful to the way the book is written, you know, when you're when you're translating it for a movie. So there's nothing wrong with that. But as far as what was the what was the, the best portrayal of the character in the book? You know, I, I certainly can't say. Um, Alan Rickman, okay. Snape. Yeah, as no, much as I love him. No, I think I think that's a good argument and good supporting uh, evidence for it. It's you don't have to be a carbon copy of the book to be a good portrayal of the character for the movie, because. Right. Movies and books are different, people, if you did not know this. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a difference, though, you know, the order in which you experience the saga. Because if you experience the saga as a reader first, then, you know, you it's your imagination that has made the pictures in the story, you know, that sees the events happening. So it's your mind's eye um, that has already formed these pictures based on Rowling's descriptions of the characters, the physical descriptions and the emotional descriptions. So you've got already a picture in your mind. And so, you know, when you see somebody else's image sort of imposed then on what you've already thought, you know, sometimes that can be really jarring. And so for, you know, most of the characters, that was the case for me. Um, but if I had experienced the movies first, you know, and then read the books, then, you know, I've got, you know, I've got a, a, an image worm in my head. And so anytime I hear Snape speaking, I'm hearing Alan Rickman speak, you know, yeah. if I saw the movies first instead of the books. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk Leviosa. Yeah, we can do that quickly. Because you are going to be there, correct? I am going to be at Leviosa. Yes. Okay. And... I think I'm the only person uh, who might know what that is right now. So can you give everybody a brief, uh, brief? What is that? What are you doing there? What's going on? When is it? Where is it? Yeah. So um, Leviosa is a, a conference, a fan conference for Harry Potter, um, and it's pronounced Leviosa, not Leviosa. <laughs> but the it's in Las Vegas this year, and you know there's been Harry Potter conferences now for. Uh, got probably 15 years um, 
So, you know, the people who are involved with this on an annual basis are, are really seasoned pros at pulling this stuff off. And they know, you know, how to make a great experience for people who come and who want to want to come maybe for their maybe for their 20th conference, maybe for their first. Um, there's always going to be something there that is new and fresh. And, you know, it's one of the things that I like about it in this particular case. Now, a lot of conferences are mainly fan based. Um, in other words, it's about the fan culture that's come up around Potter. So things like, you know, Wizard Rock and cosplay and, um, um, you know, f- uh, the, the, the fiction, the writing, um, fan fiction. So there's a lot of that going on as well as events like Quidditch matches and junk. So that's that's all cool. Um, but there's always been a, an act, not always, but a lot of conferences um, when the um, when the books were still being talked about had an academic focus and it really probably was at the peak was probably 2004 through 2012. All right. So about eight years where um, Harry Potter conferences had a significant academic component. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be participating in the academic programming and I'm really looking forward to it because uh, the people that are putting this one together do a great job of bringing these two communities together. And to me, that's the most exciting thing about a Harry Potter conference of this kind is that you have the fan culture, um, colliding with the academic culture and that doesn't happen in a lot of places um, or for a lot of reasons. And it, it, it makes for really great conversation. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really stoked about it. It's the first, uh, it's first weekend in July and the weekend after, um, after the 4th and Las Vegas. And you should be there because yeah. it's going to be a blast. Yeah. Um, I am – trying to be there i have i have put in for a press request they haven't gotten back to me but i'm hoping once this goes live and i can tag them on the facebooks and the tweeters that they'll be like oh he's already doing promotion for us here you go yes (laughs) he's a friend he is a friend he's a nice person (laughs) uh so aside from uh, the website Hogwarts mm-hmm. Prep. Do you mm-hmm. have a Harry Potter or fantasy app or resource that people can go to to fill the nerdy <clears throat> vibe that they feel? Hmm. Well, I can. Yeah, I can make one recommendation. Actually, um, you know, I got two of my things that I published here, and again, I'm doing a video thing. So just to just to uh, accompany with the audio. So here, this is a, a book called The Ravenclaw Reader. And this book came out as a result of um, the very first Harry Potter conference in Britain uh, at St. Andrews University in Scotland uh, three years ago now, four years ago now. And this book was put together by the conference organizers in the English department there. And I gave a talk at this um, at this conference and then I reworked it up into a manuscript for publication. Now, the editor of this, I'm not sorry, not the editor, but the publisher of the book, it's called Ravenclaw Reader, uh, is my friend John Granger. And he also has a, uh, a website to go with this where it's, I, you know, I think 
you can do a free part of it, but there's also a, a member part of it where you can plug into that and you get, you know, a lot of extra video and it's, it's, you know, a lot of in-depth stuff. If you like to geek out on the, uh, the literary part, you know, about the literary uh, greatness of the Hogwarts saga, then, um, plugging into the Ravenclaw reader website would be an excellent choice. And you can get to that probably just by uh, Googling Ravenclaw Reader or going to HogwartsProfessor.com and uh, checking out John Granger's site. And he'll have um, you'll have a link there on the front page to plug into this. So at some point, I'll be doing a, a, a talk on my contribution to that volume. And I think he's got the audio available of the talk I actually gave in Scotland for that. And um, so that's that's one resource that I can promote to you. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And and just so everyone knows, we will link to all those resources on the show notes page. So that is the usual usual bit of info we give everybody. And where can people connect with you if they have questions or they want to talk about Potter or mm -hmm. anything like that? Well, certainly you can connect with me at um, HogwartsPrep.com and you can connect with me at JoelHunterPhD.com. That is my academic site where I talk about um, you know educational matters and I publish stuff on how to succeed in college. Um, and actually one of the, I told you earlier that I'm working on an ebook or actually two ebooks. And one of them is going to be, you know, that, uh, a book about that, about how, how to succeed in an honors college and honors program. And the other book is going <laughs> to, I'm doing it backwards. The other book is <laughs> going to be about how to get into one. Um, so that'll be the second one. So yeah, I've got uh, I've got two sites that you can connect with me there, and I'm all over uh, social media as well. Um, although you know I don't have a big presence, but you can find me just about anywhere, um, Twitter, Facebook. So um, so yeah, that's where folks can find me and you know, give me a shout. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. And last but of course not least, what parting advice do you have for everyone out there listening to the DB and D podcast? Wow. Uh, so remember this, you remember that great stories and I put Hogwarts saga, the Harry Potter series as one of those great stories, you know, a great story when you finish the last page, you put it down and it inspires you to become a better person. So my advice is find those books that do that for you. And for me, you know, certainly the Harry Potter series is one of those. Had I read it when I was even younger, I think it would have had even more profound influence in that way. But, you know, for me, the, the one that stands out is Lord of the Rings. Um, I can't pick that book up uh, without, you know, it's not a sense of regret that I'm not a better person, but it's a sense of looking uh, optimistically at, you know, if a, if a story can inspire me to, um, to become a better person, um, that says, that really says something about the power of our imagination and don't discount that, you know, for, um, for all the things that it can deliver to a flourishing human life. So that's my bit of advice. Now, uh, that, that's powerful. I think we're going to leave it there, everyone. 
Thank you very much, Joel, for being here, talking talking fantasy and Harry Potter with me. I appreciate it. I do it for free all the time. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for having me on, Kenny. Hey, absolutely. Anytime. Um, maybe if we get a chance, we will fly to England and go see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and then we can have another spoiler cast about it. Well, we should make that happen for sure. Yes. <laughs> If I find sponsorship for the podcast, we will do that. Okay. Uh, Warner Brothers, you listening? Yeah. yeah. Come on, guys. Come on. Step up. Hope to see everyone at Leviosa. Workout nerd out. Thank you for listening to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well as a rating. We would definitely appreciate it. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media at Dumbbells Dragon. That includes Pinterest, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Snapchat. Until next time, work out, nerd out.